Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all of you from wherever you may be joining us from. Uh, I would like to very warmly welcome you to this hybrid event uh, on the UNFSS, the UN Food Systems Summit 2021, and its follow-up. We have a great lineup of speakers with us today, all of them extremely expert in the topic and very closely involved at the UNFSS, but also now in the follow-up uh, to the UNFSS. So we're very delighted to have all of you with us. We have a great audience here with us in person and a fantastic audience with us virtually. So again, a very warm welcome to all of you. After the presentations, we're looking forward to hearing from all of you. There will be a discussion, a Q&A session. For those of you in person, there are mics for you to ask your questions. And those of you joining us virtually, please write your questions into um, ifpre.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using the hashtag AskIfpre on Twitter. So with that, it is now my great pleasure to turn um, the podium over to Johan Swinnen, who is the Director General of IFPRI, as well as the Managing Director of the Systems Transformation Science Group within the CGIR. Uh, over to you, Jo. Thanks very much, Charlotte. Um, good morning. I was uh, and good afternoon, good evening in other parts of the world. I was just uh, talking to Joachim about we still have to get used to this new hybrid form of meetings, knowing that we have some in the room, but we have many more other people not in the room, but still being with us uh, today, both in terms of, of uh, listeners or participants in the Q&A, but also the, the presenters. Uh, it's a great pleasure for me to introduce or, or have a int few introductory remarks for uh, the event today. It is obviously a very important event. It's a very important issue we are talking about. And so um, the policy seminar on science and innovation for food systems transformation, I think is very timely as well in terms of the follow-up of the United Nations Food Systems Summit of, of 2021. As Charlotte already said, I think we have a fantastic lineup of speakers today. We have um, the leadership here of the 2021 uh, process, both the UN Special Envoy and the chair of the Scientific Committee, and also the current director, the current leader of the Food Systems Coordination Hub, and several eminent international experts on the topic uh, also on the panel. Um, as you undoubtedly know, in 2021, the UN FSS engaged a wide range of stakeholders in the dialogue on the importance of a systems approach to, to food uh, system transformation. And uh, we know by now that food systems require urgent transformation. We all know that there are many challenges that our current food systems play have to do with food security, nutrition, climate change, biodiversity, etc. We also know that food systems are changing quickly, okay? Our food systems today are quite different than the world they're operating in than they were 20 or even 20 years ago, even a decade ago. And so we are today in a new normal, which seems to be characterized more by volatility than by stability. And we have a face, we are facing, we have faced a number of shocks in the past that, uh, 15 years, most recently by COVID-19, by the war in Ukraine, but it's not just in Ukraine, there's a whole series of conflicts around the world. And of course, weather shocks and, and climate change more structurally are disrupting livelihoods and, and threatening nutrition security around the world. 
We also have no, and this was very much emphasized during the, the summit, I think, was that we need to transform these systems by action at the global level and at the local level. Local meaning it can mean a number of things. It can mean the nation, it could be like federal states, etc., or even village-level activities. And so we know that there's two, a number of reasons for that. One is because conditions change. We have different climate, soil types, farm structures, level of development in these localities. But also many of the policies that are needed, the strategies that are needed for food systems transformation are set at these local levels. A food systems approach requires that we have a number of things that have to be addressed. Technological issues, social issues, political issues, and all of these uh, conditions, these requirements are needed to enact meaningful change in the food systems that we see today. Even the most promising innovations of technologies do not come to fruition, they, do not, they are not scaled if we don't have the right um, institutional and, and political and policy set up to make these things happen. And I'm sure we will hear a number of examples today of that, and I'll come back in, in my intervention later on that as well. Let me just um, say that IFPRI and the CGIR more broadly are extremely happy to host this event. We have been very active participants in the Food System Summit preparation, and since then, and our job is to provide scientific input, evidence-based uh, evidence policy recommendations, and also engage with uh, the people who have to make the decisions, I think. Uh, in IFPRI specific case, we have been involved in, in a number of activities, and particularly on the science committee, which uh, Joachim van Braun was chairing, and also in the two, in two important levels of change, the gender and the finance uh, gender. I'm not going to go in detail here on this. I just wanted to say I think the gender leave did great work in reaching a consensus among the stakeholders on an actionable agenda uh, for policy dialogue in promoting gender equality. And a key point there, I think, was the, the important role was identified of accountability mechanisms. And these are things we are working on today, for example, in the, the, uh, the Global Food 5050 report, which comes out every year. And so there we uh, contribute to this. I think also on the finance side, this is something which everybody talks about, but actually the, 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 the concrete implementation, the, cho the choices there, the decisions that need to make place, the changes, I mean, there still is a lot of work to be done. We know there's trillions in hidden costs every year in the food system, uh, but at the same time, we need that new financial mechanisms are needed to address these hidden costs, and existing financial flows need to be redirected, repurposed to address these as well. So I'm not going to go in this uh, introductory mark further into this thing. Again, I think they'll come back. But in closing, I think this is an important uh, thing we are discussing today. We're extremely pleased with the people who are here with us. And it did not end in 2021. I think nobody really intended it to end. But I think the follow-up right now, and we are in this follow-up, is what really matters to make a change going forward. And for this, both IFPRI and the CJR are really here to help and to contribute to this process as well. And thanks again for everybody for being here with us, and I look forward to the presentations and the discussions today. Ciao. Thank you so much, Yo, uh, for those opening remarks. Um, we now turn to a former Director General of IFPRI, uh, Joachim von Braun who, of course, served, as Yo said, as the chair of the UNFSS Scientific Group in 2021. Um, he also is a professor at the Economic and Technological Change uh, Center for Development, uh, CEPT-EF. Um, Joachim, it's, it's 
wonderful to have you back here at IFPRI, and we look forward uh, to your remarks on what is really at stake here when we think about this follow-up to the uh, UNFSS. Over to you. Well, <clears throat> thank you, Charlotte, um, um, and thank you, uh, Jo, um, for having us um, uh, here at IFPRI. It's always a pleasure to uh, revisit uh, uh, this wonderful institute uh, so ably uh, governed by, by you and your team. I'm also pleased to welcome online uh, colleagues from the former and current scientific group. Um, there is uh, Dr. Afsana from Bangladesh, uh, uh, Professor Mohammed Hassan from Sudan, and uh, Chief Scientist uh, Isman Alouafi uh, from FAO. So that there was a scientific group and that there is a science advisory group, I think is important to uh, take note that this process, as uh, Joe Swin just mentioned, is going on. I'm particularly pleased uh, that you, Agnes, uh, Dr. Kalibata, president of AGRA, um, is here with us uh, today. Um, initially, this was planned as a book release. Uh, you know professors like book releases, um, uh, but essentially it's looking backwards. But I cannot avoid mentioning when I checked last time, last week, how many clicks did the book have, it has exceeded 350,000 by now, since January. So um, um, there is apparently a demand for this uh, initial stock taking um, of um, uh, the Food System Summit scientific group input that um, we did bring together with this book. 50 chapters, diverse perspectives. Uh, it is not a, um, uh, a set of commandments. Um, it is diversity, as diverse as the food system is. I would like to briefly <coughs> do a balance sheet of the UN Food System Summit 2021 and highlight um, um, a set of promising outcomes and a set of unfinished business. Among the promising outcomes <coughs> is number one, strong political and societal engagement. The summit was much more inclusive, mobilized nations and stakeholders with multiple dialogue formats Never before has the world discussed and considered food systems issues at this scale. Secondly, the outcome is an action agenda. The UN Secretary General's statement of action, Agnes, I'm sure you had a heavy hand in this, um, with its systems focus, not just hunger, not just agriculture, food systems focus and the five action areas to help inform the transition um, is um, targeting to realize the uh, sustainable development goals related to food, environment, um, health uh, by 2030. And the follow-up process uh, is an outcome of this action agenda. Because the Secretary General had requested 
for a stock-taking event two years after, and that will already be uh, this uh, summer in July. And um, the hub uh, director, uh, Stefanos Fotios, will brief us on that later. A third promising outcome is the national-level implementation. That was appropriately emphasized. And science and innovation played a key role in these initiatives at national level. 62% of countries' national pathways documents have a serious emphasis on science, technology, and innovation for the transformation of food systems. Unfortunately, however, the countries which are seriously affected by hunger and undernutrition do not show in their documents of their national pathways a strong emphasis on science and innovation. That, I believe, uh, your calls a CGIR to action because these countries need capacity building, capacity, capacity support in uh, bringing uh, innovation uh, to the agenda. And um, last, I would highlight that there was this broad scientific engagement um, in the summit like never before with academies of sciences, research organizations, and so on. And with a broad perspective, Luis Fresco, one of the vice chairs uh, of the scientific group, emphasized successfully the key role of One Health. So people health, um, environmental health, and technology. So these were promising outcomes. The unfinished business, uh, I think, includes at least three points. One is the lack facilitating of a strong global level actions in key areas such as climate, COVID-19, and trade to accompany the national level actions. The acute food crisis was not sufficiently addressed by the summit. Secondly, um, we failed uh, to develop a finance agenda for the investments needed to achieve uh, the end of hunger and other key targets. IFPE um, has contributed uh, with an important paper to this uh, process uh, with a proposal on finance, and I'm glad to note that there is already now follow-up on the um, finance agenda. And third, there are deficiencies in strengthening capacities for implementation of actions at national level, especially in emerging economies. Let me leave it at that. Um, it is probably too early to do a proper um, balance sheet on the Food Systems Summit, but um, uh, we um, uh, need to follow up with this meeting. I hope it's not the last one, um, uh, and I'm sure we will hear lots of further uh, engaging comments from the colleagues in the audience and on the web. Thank you. Thank you very much, Joachim. Congratulations to you and the co-editors who are with us uh, in this meeting on, on the book. Um, and for all of you online, you can find uh, the link to that book uh, on, on our um, event page. So 
I think Agnes Kalibata obviously probably doesn't need much introduction. Um, I, I just would like to reflect that when the in the run-up and during the UN Food Systems Summit, Agnes really became the face of that event, and I think we all agree she did a fantastic job. I think of really. Uh, bringing the world's attention, Joachim spoke about how much attention and participation there was at this summit, and I, I think all of that is uh, is due to your uh, great effort. Um, so, as you know, Agnes served as the special envoy to the UN, UN Food System Summit, and of course she is and continues to be um, the uh, president for the Alliance for a Green Revolution in Africa. We're delighted to have you with us, Agnes, and we want to hear about your reflections from what I imagine were some pretty crazy months in your, in your life back in 2021. <laughs> Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you for uh, those introductory remarks. And thank you, Professor Joachim, for uh, taking a balance sheet approach to this work. Because I think 2030, I mean, 2021 was ground zero, like the takeoff point. And, I, and coming at this every year has to be that we are evaluating how much we've been able to do since that date, since we launched that level of understanding. Uh, in terms of reflection, I, I just wanted to go back a minute and, and recognize that we came at this with probably four things that were extremely critical. The most important part of everything we did then was the people and being able to mobilize people. So when, when I, I had a small team back then getting started, I told the team we needed to reach five billion people. And everybody was like, but for how? how is it possible that would reach five billion people. I was, I was like, because that's the only way you can change a food system. A food system is you and I. If we can't reach people that actually make the decisions every day that we need to make when it comes to food, then we'll not have done anything. So I was very happy to see that at the end of the 2021, at the time of the summit, my team was talking about 3.5 billion people reached through the communication that was happening by all of us, by the scientific group, by the, the action trucks, by all the work that we had put out there. But I actually do believe we reached five billion people. That was what was counted. I still do believe that we reached five billion people. Why would I say that? I longed during the Food System Summit, I longed for, to see a major news outlet take on food systems as something they understood. Of course, uh, something like CNN would have been an, the icing, but they didn't. They kept, you know, going round and round. Today, there's actually a, a program on CNN on food systems. Starts with our food systems or something, and I'm like, they had to wait this long to <laughs> to figure out that they need to be talking about food systems. It doesn't matter. They are now talking about food systems. And doesn't matter, the world out there and each of us is very much aware. And that was the purpose. That's the reason we went out there. So engaging people was, was really critical. Engaging governments was another thing that was extremely critical to what we did. We had all 196 governments, we had 193 governments engaged in the food systems conversation. 193, maybe three, uh, I don't know what was happening, but 193 did. And at the time we finished, we had 112 governments that had actually 
committed food system pathways. We had 166 governments that actually participated in the summit. So, but in terms of the engagement we set out to do, I think you, you don't, that's probably as, as high as it is going to come in, in having national level engagements. We had one important lever that we needed to take advantage of, the 2030. The 2030 was our North Star in a way, but there are so many others. The 1.5 to me becomes such a critical part of what we were doing. Because you see, we, in the recent discussions that I'm hearing people talk about as we move COP to COP28, people are beginning to say, oh, maybe we are not being realistic by focusing on 1.5. And for me, th the thing is, if you live in my part of the world, what would be unrealistic would be to not talk about 1.5. We must stay within 1.5. If you see what is happening in Kenya, if you see what is happening in Somalia, 2,000 people dead because they can't access food in our world today. Honestly, 1.5 is a luxury. To not want to be in 1.5 is a luxury because we live, at, even today, it's, it's, it's something that we, we need to, to, to address. So um, I do think that the fact that we are talking about 630 million people that will still be hungry by 2030 is not a challenge we should take lightly. And Professor Joachim did lay out some of that. It's a different world. Things are moving very fast. I think it was uh, Professor Yunin who did that. Things are moving very fast. Uh, how we started out when we set out to 2030 is very different from where we are at today. But 630 million people in 2030, with all the frameworks we've signed, with all the agreements, with all the knowledge we have, would be a shame to our world, to our generation, to be honest with you. Because what is it that we don't know? So going back to the food systems, I wanted to call out what I see as some of the, I will not do a stock take because Professor Joachim has done some form of stock take. So I just wanted to call out probably four areas that I feel that we can work on together further to take advantage of, to ensure that we strengthen this work that we have started together. We learned from COP26 and COP27 that actually those meetings that are happening outside the COPs are extremely critical to informing, to keep the matter and the issues in our minds, but also, sorry, but also to engage other people and to move the conversation from um, a non-negotiated, nice to have conversation to actually now a more deliberate conversation that we need to hold ourselves accountable to. So to see that food systems beginning to move towards uh, what people are looking at with regards to negotiations, to see that people are rec recognizing the role of food systems and how they impact uh, the whole idea of climate change is extremely important and to won't happen unless we keep those conversations going. We need to take advantage of NDCs and other negotiated frameworks like uh, what we are calling national uh, adaptation plans. NDCs give us an opportunity to hold governments accountable to things they've already uh, committed to. And for us to move some of the food system indicators that are critical to reducing impact of the food system into NDCs would be really good. And of course, yeah, for, for countries that need adaptation to, to start coming through on that would be, would be uh, also good. We need to, uh, to stay on top of research and documenting, um, documenting um, innovations where they happen. 
there are so many things that are happening in the food system. It has, uh, so much has been catalyzed. And I just feel like there's a, there's a lot that is not being captured. So I give you an example, very practical example. We've been working in Africa, we've been working on going beyond national pathways. We, we look at national pathways and we say, okay, these are political statements, but how do we go beyond them? How do we make them actionable? And we've worked with a few countries to put, to put these things forward. But I just feel that because we are not your typical research institution, it's taking forever, sorry again, it's taking forever for the world to understand that actually we do have a beautiful product here. We've got an African Union to adopt uh, in its, uh, in its um, by annual review to look at this and adopt these indicators, food system indicators we are putting forward. We've gotten a few countries to put, to, to clearly and uh, think through the gaps that they have across key elements of the food system and come up with solutions. But I just feel like maybe because we're not IFPRI, we're having a hard time, <laughs> and I'm just making a joke of it, but we're having a hard time convincing people that actually these are things we thought through, that actually these are things countries have thought through. So how do we take those type of innovations and build on them? It's really unfortunate. Sometimes you go to these meetings and people tell you, oh, countries don't know what to do. I'm like, no, they know what to do, except you're not listening to them. So when, when do we, where do we, how do we go forward and capture these and actually use lessons that are coming from com countries, indigenous communities, these are the pl all these places, and use them to build where we are going because these people are putting these lessons forward based on where they are at and we need to listen to them. So I just feel like there's an opportunity there to be a little bit more intentional. Of course then the other thing is countries come up with these plans they are respecting what we all said we would do in, within the food system. And then there's no financing. There's no interest at all. Nobody's interested in funding them. So again, either the idea is founded, and, and again, I'm going to use IFPRI because we are in, in IFPRI. The idea is founded by IFPRI or the World Bank or whatever for this idea to be funded. So we are not encouraging innovation coming from the ground. And, 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 and because of that, it will take forever. It will take forever if we are, we are not listening and, and really supporting uh, uh, this level of creativity and, take, and harnessing innovation so that we encourage solutions at any point, at every point across the food system. I think that's, that's to me, would be uh, a really missed opportunity. I have a few examples that I see all the time that I really am beginning to, to, to give me hope that the food system will actually transform. The national strategies I just talked about uh, that, that African countries are, are focusing on, they're not easy. It's not just coming up with a strategy. It's how different sectors in those countries coordinate around these strategies. It's how they are willing to be accountable. These are very challenging questions still, but at least the fact that they are moving forward is great and, and for me gives me strong hope. From action trucks and some of the coalition that we have built, you're beginning to see things like uh, school feeding take up in a very strong way and, and countries really trying, beginning to recognize that the, the, there's a disconnect now with inclusion that is answered through school feeding, whether it's how markets are provided for communities, but also how kids uh, start accessing nutrition. The whole idea of regenerative agri uh, agriculture that is beginning to pick up with a focus on, on soil carbon but for us, who live with farmers every day, with a focus on how that might help them get a, season, get a crop where there's a failed crop during droughts. That this, these things are becoming important. But they can't, these communities can't do it on their own. 
we have to, again, build a body of evidence around them and pull in other people and pull in the right resources. And then there's also this whole area around agroecology that, interestingly, because we've done, we are doing it as an institution as well, we're beginning to do some, some good work there. The question becomes, how do we ensure that most of these things that our world is betting on can be sustainable? We can't wish for them or want them and push them to communities that we know that can't support them on their own will be able to, to carry them through on their own. And then uh, another area that I see that is going to gain traction as we go is this, this whole area of reduction of food loss, uh, uh, food loss, uh, yeah, reducing food loss. And again, it's beginning to gain traction also in the COPs. And I hope that that is something that we can continue to build on. So to me, uh, and, and as I conclude, I have, I'm extremely hopeful because again, we all know what needs to be done a good number of a critical mass, a good number of us do understand the need for the change that must happen, and we just need to push for it. We just need to push for it. I worry that uh, we have a lot of push for adaptation and we have a lot of burying our heads in the sand when it comes to mitigation, and yet we know, uh, now there's recent data, yet we know that we will not achieve 1.5, even if everybody else stopped. If we don't do anything in the food system, we will not achieve 1.5 if we don't fix the challenge of mitigating uh, in the food system. So I, again, I appreciate and, and, and really I'm grateful for all the work that has been done by everybody else. But let's remember, 2021 September was just the beginning. We have a lot of work ahead of us. And as a community that is, ex uh, that is working on this, cons consciously having made a decision to be part of this, we have a lot of work and let's continue working together uh, to make this happen. Thank you again, and thank you for organizing this. Thank you very much, Agnes. Um, we'll now turn to a presentation by Stefanos Fautieu, who is heading the coordination hub at the UN uh, for the food systems uh, follow-up. And which is housed at the FAO, but it is a UN coordination hub. So um, we thank Mr. Fotiu for his remarks and we'll roll his video now. have liked you to join you live for this, but uh, I can't. But thank you for, thank you to IFPRI and the colleagues for giving me the opportunity to uh, present to you some thoughts we have for the planning of the first UN food system stock-taking moment. As you know that the, the stock-taking moment was something that um, was in the Secretary General's um, statement of action and uh, after the summit, it's going to be organized 24 to 26 of July in Falkirk, Cortes, Rome. Um, hosted by Italy in collaboration with the RBS and, and the Hub. We want to give space to the countries to review the uh, progress together with the ecosystem of support and to get a message that we cannot accelerate this disease in the 2030 agenda without food system transformations. You see here some of our building elements for the stock taking moment, and let me go one to one with them. We want the stock taking moment to be based on country needs. And we have done our survey. We do know what the countries want and support to the food system follow-up. And this has been done last year, 
So this is a starting point when it, when it comes to what are the areas that we will talk. Second, we want the stock-taking moment to be inclusive of things and connect the agendas. We have a guidance here. It's coming from the last session of the high-level political forum on sustainable development, where in the ministerial declaration we got specific language on the uh, UN Food System Coordination Hub and on what the countries expect from the first stock-taking moment. And you will see that all the themes, all the areas, all the agendas are here. We want to have inclusivity of actors and while we are looking at the member states at the epicenter of this event, we want to have with us the stakeholders, the science, the coalitions, the UN system, and of course other international organizations. There's a call for expression of interest for non-state actors to participate. Please look at the website and uh, if, if you are members of non-state actors, um, submit your application. We want to do an analysis of progress. We're working on a mind map that we try to answer the question, do we walk the talk of the Food Systems Summit? And we believe that with your inputs and with additional dialogues we have, we will make this mind map much more complex, but at the same time, much more comprehensive and inclusive. We will not create silos. We'll be looking at things that they have already been discussed in the Food Systems Summit. And uh, they are part of the follow-up. We'll have a variety of events, and we'll have a balancing action between in, in optimism and realism. Yes, we want to salvage the SDGs, but we know that right now we are almost nowhere on achieving them. We need to talk about success by identifying persistent problems. We need to have a narrative for the long-term resilience of the food systems, but also addressing the uh, current emergencies. And we need to look at the future by learning from the lessons of the past. In the program, we're going to have three streams of uh, events in the main program, plenary sessions, countries and stakeholders to share progress, leadership dialogues, multi-stakeholder sessions uh, to promote peer exchange and, and peer learning, special events for some deep dives into specific thematic areas. In addition, we have side events organized by various actors. We do have a call for proposals out there uh, with a deadline of 28th of April. We have started doing some regional preparatory meetings. We have concluded four of them in four regions. The last one will be in Latin America at the end of this month. We have shared in our internet templates where everybody could share good practices and success stories. We're working on the program design. We're continuously meeting with the countries, the ecosystem support, and we're finalizing our roadmap, which includes a number of events before, so after the stock day. We're asking questions to everyone that wants to, to be part of this journey. What are your expectations? What are you planning to prepare? How are you planning to prepare for this statement? And what support do you think do you need? And we want to answer these questions, so we make sure that this mind map is as more complete as we can. So I will leave you with these thoughts, but um, also giving a small disclaimer here that I presented some thoughts that they are informing the way that we are designing the stock-taking moment, but final decisions on the program on the thematic areas lie with the oversight steering group of the hub, which is the principles of the RBAs, uh, other UN agencies, and of course the Deputy Secretary General.
So all the best for your meeting today, and I'll be looking forward to continue working with you. Thank you. Great. We've now had, I think, a quite good overview of what will happen during the stock taking, and it, it almost seems like a summit in and of itself uh, based, on that, uh, based on that presentation. And, and so now we turn to the part of the program where we can go into a little bit more detail on the important process questions, but also the important topics uh, that, that should be front and center at the stock taking and then in the ongoing follow-up to the UNFSS, both at the national but also at the international level. Um, so we're delighted to have three of our four panelists here are actually served as members of the scientific group. And two of them continue to serve as members of the new uh, scientific group, um, and that's Ismahan uh, and, and uh, Afsana. So we're going to start with a presentation um, um, on the importance of bringing together multidisciplinary uh, science uh, to this big enterprise of, of food systems transformation. And we have a great speaker with us, Mohammed Hassan, who is with the World Academy of Sciences and did serve as a vice chair of the UNFSS scientific group, talking to us today about how we can best bring together scientific expertise to advance food systems transformation. Uh, thank you for being with us, Mohammed, and we'll tee you up now to, to uh, come up on the screen. Thank you very much. Uh, can I have the first slide, please? Hello? Yeah, the one after this. Yeah. Okay, the, sorry. The, uh, this is just to, um, uh, to, to say that the achieving the food systems transformation will certainly require collaboration uh, between multidisciplinary uh, teams of experts and innovators, um, not only from the science and technology um, community, but, uh, but we need innovations also from the social, community, social sciences community from the business and governance community and from the indigenous people communities. The indigenous people, I think, is an area that has not been considered uh, uh, adequately in, in, in the previous, uh, previous months and years. Uh, so such teams bring a range of experts from different disciplines uh, to address food systems and, and, and food systems complexities and generate uh, what we really need, uh, scalable, sustainable, and adequate solutions. Next, please. Next. The, uh, the scientific group is a very good example of such a multidisciplinary team. Um, uh, and, and all of them come from different uh, areas of knowledge and policy, um, uh, the areas that I just indicated. The scientific group also mobilized global science networks and international organizations as partners. 
uh, the outcome of the work of the scientific group, as I was mentioned earlier by Joachim, uh, as well uh, as the partners um, are very well documented in the uh, in the book. Uh, I just would like to highlight two areas where I feel um, there is a need for continuity and, uh, and for more in-depth uh, discussion. Um, the first is the indigenous knowledge that I just mentioned, and this you will find in part three of the volume, a uh, very nice uh, paper that is written on this um, in, in that part of the volume. The indigenous knowledge crops have been strongly highlighted. Um, and, and here we see the use of digital, digital technologies uh, for the documentation of the indigenous knowledge uh, have been extremely successful in a number of countries around the world, including India, uh, Brazil, China, and so on. And very recently, we're beginning to see that artificial intelligence uh, has the potential of creating digital maps of indigenous, indigenous knowledge that can facilitate the links with modern science. And this is an area that is just uh, opening and it is really expanding. And that will really make the links between indigenous knowledge and modern science more visible. Um, and the inclusion of the indigenous knowledge, I'm happy to say, in the IPCC uh, future assessment reports is now being considered very seriously. Um, uh, so all this, of course, is uh, going to uh, continue, and um, I'm sure that many organizations are going to uh, to look at the issue of indigenous knowledge. Uh, in particular, I would like to mention the initiative that is coming very soon in October 2023, and that is the initiative of the Pontifical Academy of Sciences, uh, which is going to organize a workshop on indigenous knowledge. And here, um, the the the, the the, the Pontifical Academy of Sciences would like to look at indigenous innovations um, coming from the indigenous communities and the science and technology innovations um, combined for issues related to resilience, to climate change, to biodiversity to loss, and uh, to health. Um, the second issue is the issue of climate change. And again, this is a very important issue that was addressed in the book in part four of the volume. And, and here we really talk about two issues that are important, the climate resistance food systems. Um, uh, and um, this is the drought resistant crops and the reduction of greenhouse gases emissions caused by food systems. Um, and again, this is an issue that is uh, uh, being talked about, but I think we need more work uh, to at least understand uh, this uh, why the climate change and food systems are so much interlinked uh, because of these two issues, the, the, the effect on food, the climate change effect on food, and also the food uh, uh, influence on climate change and the emissions. Uh, let us uh, not forget that uh, uh, the technologies for uh, uh, reduction of food waste is extremely important since 8% of the global uh, emissions are caused by food waste. So this is an issue uh, I think Angus uh, highlighted earlier. Next, please. So let me now come uh, to the partnership. And one of the most important uh, 
uh, partners of the scientific group of the UN Food Systems Summit is the Academies of Science. Uh, the IAP in particular, which is the Global Network of Academies of Science, Medicine, Engineering. Uh, here talking about 150 member academies um, uh, that are um, dividing, divided into four regional networks. And, um, um, and I'm happy to say, next please, next slide, that um, the, um, the scientific group, uh, the chair of the scientific group uh, has actually uh, requested um, the interacademy partnership uh, to uh, develop a policy briefs uh, based on the documents I just uh, mentioned. Uh, these uh, four, uh, you see in front of you, these uh, four reports, four regional reports and the, the synthesis report, um, uh, developed by multidisciplinary teams of experts from all regions uh, in the world. That, in, that are involved in the producing of these reports. Um, and all these reports are published in 2018 and were shared with the uh, UN Food System Summit Scientific Group. And in the next uh, slide, um, I have uh, the request that has been made. Uh, next, please. That has been made by uh, the chair of the scientific group to contribute these policy briefs based on uh, an, an update of the food, uh, uh, nutrition, uh, uh, and agriculture report. So five briefs have been published in parts six and seven of the volume. Um, and there is a strong support uh, to um, uh, establishing an international science advisory body for sustainable food systems, similar to IPCC and IPPSS. This is one of the strongest recommendations that have emerged uh, from the, the IAP uh, reports. Finally, I uh, just uh, would like to highlight uh, some of the barriers. Uh, I think Joachim mentioned uh, the capacity building uh, uh, efforts and how important it is. Uh, there are barriers that are I'm sure that common to you. Um, the volume shows the critical role of science, technology, and innovation in food systems as formation, uh, including the biosciences and so on. And the barriers to adopt such uh, technologies in uh, the least developed countries um, um, are very well documented. And they are also, uh, you will see them in the book, the access to affordable electricity, which is uh, really very important, and the reliable internet as well. Technical skills of farmers and the youth in digital technologies and the availability of competent research institutions in food systems to attract talented students and retain young researchers. I think it's very important. I would love to see a time when uh, universities in the LDCs at least uh, uh, have one university per country that is similar to those that I have just highlighted. Bakhinyan University or China Agricultural University. These are outstanding world-class universities, but we do not have any of them in the low and middle income countries. And I think the time has come that we should help these countries to build such universities. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Mohammed, for highlighting the work of the um, inter-academy partnership. Very important. <coughs> and, and your important call at the end there for ensuring uh, 
scientific base in uh, low and middle income countries, hugely important. Um, we now, it's, it's my pleasure to introduce our next uh, speaker. Quasar Afsana is also joining us virtually. Um, she was also a vice chair of the UNFSS scientific group and continues in the new uh, scientific group that will continue to advise the follow-up to the UNFSS. She uh, is with the James P. Grant School of Public Health, uh, housed at Brock University in Bangladesh. And um, thank you so much for joining us, Quasar. You'll address today what we need to understand about food systems transformation in order to advance nutrition and health. Over to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon and good evening to all of you. And today's uh, talk is uh, quite critical. And we know that globally we have done so well in many issues, but still we know that we haven't done, and we have not probably not done justice to what we have been discussing today. So that is the malnutrition situation, which is worse and widespread and unacceptable. Still, people remain hungry. Still, people are suffering from food insecurity. We know that undernourishment under under five children is going down, declining, but still it's widespread in low and middle income countries. On the other hand, obesity and overall weight rising alarmingly across the world, but more so in the developed world. And this evidence actually, you know, has numbers, and numbers are so huge, and it is it has an alarming alert to everyone that wake up the world, we need to work in this specific area. And especially this uh, malnutrition and uh, the food uh, systems and uh, the health, it's so much interconnected that we can see that that what is happening if malnutrition has a severity on the health. That's the global burden on malnutrition leading to deaths and diseases. Under five children deaths, 45% underlying causes of deaths is due to malnutrition. It's unacceptable. Still, imagine that over half a billion people in the world are suffering from diabetes mellitus because of the diet-related factors. And 1.2 billion actually having hypertension. And that, why it is happening? It is because of our food quality is so poor. And that is one of the number one risk factors for our global burden of diseases. And we know that, you know, there's so much evidences on this but I'm not sure that how much serious we are taking this into consideration. So especially when you talk about, you know, food, nutrition, health, one of the issues is quite critical, that is the healthy diet. And what do we mean by healthy diet? We are actually still struggling with the definition of healthy diet. But from our work in the scientific group in UNFS, uh, even FSS 2021, we actually came up with a very clear definition of safe and nutrition, nutritious diet. food is actually healthy diet. And 3.2 billion people are not able to access this healthy diet in the world. So what is happening? 
Is it our food system or is it other factors? Yes, there are many drivers. There are many factors that are affecting this. Yes, the people are, who are actually suffering from poor socioeconomic status, they are the one affected by it. Still, we have poor knowledge about what is the good, you know, safe and nutritious food. We have, that means we have lack of knowledge. Still, you are having your social norm, cultural norms, that also impact that how people should be behaving. And women's role, women's role and gender issues, which are so critical, especially in the food system arena, which improve, which could improve the access to healthy diet. This is still neglected area. We know that we have been working a lot about this food system. So food system is such a complex issue. And that is, you know, that needs to be dealt with. And that's why you are here today, that the, how we are transforming the whole food system. And what is happening in the urban areas, our demographic change. I mean, climate change, we discussed a lot about climate change and land use and underutilization, and natural resource degradation. These are huge issues across the world. And I'm from Bangladesh. I know that how much you are being affected by climate change, land use, and natural resource degradation every day. And conflict, conflict, humanitarian crisis, these are huge also issues coming up, affecting us. And COVID-19 has shown us that, you know, how quickly people get affected with the access to their healthy food and even to food insecurity. So that means we cannot remain as business as usual, and that is going to lead to more catastrophe. So we have to be very serious, and that's why you are here. So one of the few of the issues which are very important, already spoken by Joachim and also Agnes Kalibata, that the transformation of the food system, which is critical, and what are the facts? What, how can you work? Yes, we are working in science and innovations, but how could you harness it? And Joachim actually spoke a lot about that science policy interface. And this is so important, but still I know that how much gaps remain there. So the coordination, monitoring, accountability, these are critical issues, but I can see in my own country, still we are bifurcated, bifurcated by inter, you know, intersectoral coordination is really important, which is lacking, and many other globally and also at the country level. And our food behavior, we have changed food behavior so much but now we need to change back. So how could you do that? And these are all critical issues coming up to, to, to push us that how could, you be, to, how could you do better? And we know that we are in bad shape. We are in bad shape in terms of our burden on food systems, global burden on malnutrition, global burden of diseases on health and diseases, more importantly, our planetary health. We have never been equipped with so much knowledge, so much evidences tool that we can need, we can improve, you know, what we can use for our improved accountability to drive the better nutritional outcomes and to mobilize financing, which is critical. Without having a financial invest, we may not be able to move that much that, that we are also envisioning. So I am pushing that we need to push on in all, across all areas of nutrition and we have to reform our systems and structure to perform better and to deliver our healthy food, nutritious, safe food to everyone so that we can achieve our SDG goals by 2030. Thank you so much for giving me opportunity to speak.
Thank you very much, Quasar, for putting all those very important uh, nutrition-related points on the agenda today. Um, we now turn to Ismahan El-Wafi. Uh, welcome to the seminar, Ismahan. Uh, Ismahan, as all of you know, serves as the chief scientist uh, at, at FAO. She was a member of the scientific group, and she continues to be a member of the new SAC. And today, um, Ismahan, you're going to talk to us a little bit about how is the FAO involved in, in the stock taking, um, as well as this idea of how do we actually prioritize scientific evidence, or how can we look maybe towards a multiple set of solutions when we try to uh, advance food systems transformation? Over to you. Thank you very much, Charlotte. And uh, let me know for the hybrid mode events. Believe me, the people that are online are the losers because we don't have really the feeling for the room and we can't see everybody's faces and expressions. But thank you very much for the opportunity to join you. And I, I think as many of the speakers said, the agri-food system are very complex. And if we are talking about transformation, it's, it's a huge task. So we should keep in mind that there is no silver bullet that's gonna solve it all. It's really, it's a complex issue that we have required complex and multi-solution, multi-facet, multi-solutions. And I think differently, we are all here and we all believe that science, technology, and innovation can help. And let me start by, by the chapter that I was really honored to co-author with some of the colleagues uh, in the book that we are launching today, Joaquin. So I was, uh, I co-authored a paper with Tom Hertel, Frank Evert, and Morakot Talshirawen. And the title was Diversification for Enhanced Food System Resilience. And it is in part three of the book that discusses action for equity and resilience in food system. But the most important that the most important argument that we try to put in that chapter is that the only way really to obtain a greater food system is to diversification. Diversification should occur at the production level, at the trade and household level. Uh, related responses, as well as along the entire value chain and consumption through diversity of diets. So I always say why we have only two megaphones, Samsung, Samsung and, and iPhone, or why do we have big companies like Nestle and Unilever? We should have thousands and thousands of them. So that's in the processing. The same thing in the production. So the, the monoculture was pushed by multinationals and multinationals are getting bigger and bigger, and that is getting us into unilateral systems. So if we want to really change the system, we should change the way we produce, the way we, we process, the way we trade it, and the way we consume it. The paper also analyzed how diversification at the global, regional, and local trading system has led to resilience of food system from time to time. And we are just within the midst of the war in Ukraine, and we saw the disruption in the value chain again. And again there, where you have diversification, you have better resilience system. Diversification also can achieve the resilience to various types of vulnerabilities. So we're not talking about only shocks that are climatic, for example, but also other stress, be it conflict, be it financial, be it climatic or others. So I don't want to spend too much time on the chapter per se, but just to tell you that 
this for me, it's really very important as we are thinking about going forward with a, a transformation plan, a change agenda. We need to really keep the diversification and the multi solution at the heart of it. So let me go back to FAO. How are we going to do it? As you know, all of you, the FAO strategic framework, it's around transformation and that transformation, it's around a system that is more efficient, that is more resilient, that is more sustainable and that is more inclusive. And we do that through the four betters, the better production, better nutrition, better environment and better life. So the way we put the science and innovation strategy that was approved last June is really to support the strategic framework. It's really what's the best science and innovation we have to to push more in a four better in a four in a better production in this part of the world or a better nutrition in this country or a better livelihood in the rural setting and so on and so forth. And the way we did it, it's really to identify what's the best science and technology and innovation we have within each of our program priority areas. We have 20 of them that are really the plan for 10 years. So the way we 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 shot or the way we 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 put the strategy, uh, the the topics, I think that the 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 topic of today is very relevant to that because the aim of the strategy, the way we, we put it, is that FAO members harness science and innovation to realize context specific and systemic solutions. So it's context specific and it's systemic solution that will serve their purpose and that will help them deliver on the 2030 agenda and of course the SDGs. And this means context specific scientific evidence should be prioritized to inform the agri-food system transformation. And this has to touch up on all sectors. So in terms of sectors, it's everything. So from crop, livestock, forestries, fisheries, aquaculture, uh, natural resource management, again, through the whole agri-food system from production to consumption, looking at the food waste and loss, as was mentioned by Mohammed, And it also has to include food range of scientific disciplines that we mentioned, natural society, social, social sciences, economic sciences. And it has to really build on innovation. And for us, innovation is not only scientific or technological innovation, but also institutional innovation, financial innovation, societal innovation. And that's really where the indigenous knowledge and the local knowledge is very it's very important. Let me move to from there. Now we have the the word the the action plan that is finalized, and maybe I'll give you just a few ideas of the difference between a region. So if I look at the the action plan, the initiative, the new initiative that are coming up, it's for example digitalization is quite high in many countries, but then you go to the MENA region and it's water scarcity. You go to Latin America and it's mostly on animal production and how do we bring innovation to reduce the footprint and increase increase nutrition from there let me go to the importance of data as when you talk about prioritization it means you understand the problem very well so you understand the the, the setting and the context but also that you have enough data to do that analysis and to provide solutions and that's why we came and we launched last October um, ATIO, which is the Agri-Food Technology and Innovation Outlook. And the ATIO, what ATIO is intending to do, it's really to bridge the gap of 
what's happening at the country level, particularly in the least and middle income countries in terms of technology and innovation, and in terms of picking up technologies and innovation. So ATIO will, uh, will actually curate existing information on the current marriageable state of STI and upcoming changes, as well as their transformative potential to inform evidence-based policy dialogue and decision, including on investment. The current data and assessment on STI are scattered, incomplete, and integrated. So what we are intending to do is really bring it all under one single platform. And we have been talking to the private sector to see how we could have access to pre-competitive data from the from the, the private sector that would allow us to really identify the technologies and innovation that countries and policymakers should invest in, be it by forming the right policies and the regulations or financial in the, uh, investment to, to make that technology going forward. And there, what we did, we took the whole um, innovation cycle and we divided in four. So we have the STI input, and that's where we are getting ASTI from IFPRI uh, and moving it to FAO to be part and parcel of the ATIO. We are looking at the pre-emerging science, technology, and innovation. We are looking at the emerging science, technology, and innovation. And we are looking also at the mature science, technology, and innovation. I know this is a ring, it means it's it's enough, but maybe let you just tell you few two more ideas that I think we need when Very we talk quickly, about please. complex <laughs> issues, yeah, comp and comp and many solutions. It's we we need to embrace new technologies. And we need really to bring science to speak up for those technologies. And that was the attempt in our paper on gene editing, because it's a very promising technology that as if it or as a platform that is completely objective, we are really trying to explain what the technology is and why should we use it, or if we use it, what are the safeguards that we need to have at the policy and the regulation level. Thank you very much and over to you, Shahbaz. Thank you very much, Ismahan. Some very important points uh, there as well. Uh, we are almost at the Q&A session, so please keep your questions coming. You can ask them on ifpri.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using the hashtag AskIfpri on Twitter. Um, we're now turning back to Yo Swinnen. And Yo, if you can keep it short so we can uh, still have some time for Q&A. I think probably, I imagine the main thing you're going to want to talk about after all these presentations is what does it actually mean to bundle innovations and, and so that they can actually be scaled up? I think that's a, an issue that's come up in many of these presentations. And maybe linked to that, how does the CGIR try to do that? Um, so let me turn it over to you, and then right after Yo's presentation, we'll enter the, the Q&A session. Thanks very much, uh, Charlotte, and thanks to all the speakers. Um, actually, I have, uh, <laughs> I was taking notes from all the points that were made and trying to link it to the work that we are uh, doing and trying to do. And so I have actually a, a lot of notes now because I had some pre-made notes as well. So I'm going to go through and, and uh, basically pick out uh, a few of them just uh, more generally. 
Well, I think, the, in a way, the presentation have almost laid out an agenda for IFPRI and the CGI are about things we have to do, okay? And so I have, uh, in a way, good news and bad news. The bad news is I think that we are in very difficult times, okay? As I discussed already, we are facing what people are sometimes calling CCC times, climate change, conflicts, uh, COVID-19 that has developed. And these have led to an unprecedented situation in the world. I think we've seen a very structural reversal of hunger in the world, which is very different than it was like in during the 2008 crisis. Um, economic uh, dev progress actually has stalled in the world, particularly in developing countries. And this is something some, somewhat underemphasized, but I think it's crucial in, in terms of understanding what's going on for the future. We've seen a very rapid growth of refugees in the world, internally or externally displaced people. They have gone up from roughly around 40 million people, which was fairly stable for almost 15 years, now gone up to more than 100 million people over the last five to eight years. And that's really a major problem. And now we have big volatility in, in markets, both in production and in, in prices, okay? And so that means what we need is we need a strategy which addresses the, the long run problems, the medium run and the short run at the same time. We just cannot prioritize one over the other, I think. And so, and you need a systems approach which has come back several times um, with a strong multidisciplinary uh, angle. Um, the good news is I think we, that's what we try to do. Okay, so our 2030 uh, research and innovation strategy of the CGIR, which is now being implemented since last year, is doing exactly that. We very much take a systems approach where we look both at technological innovation, uh, management innovation, and management very broadly defined, and then policy and institutional innovation at a more macro scale. And so I think this goes back, you can look at this as more as macro program, but it also addresses the point which Agnes Kalibata pointed out in the beginning. It doesn't matter if you have innovations, if they're not used. I mean, if farmers don't have the incentives to use them or they don't have the capacity due to insurance problems or, or financial problems to use them. And so those kind of come together, I think, in, or at least that's our uh, strategy or thinking behind it. And then last year, we also developed what we called a crisis response uh, strategy with seven action areas, which partly, uh, which are different emphases and different points that come up in addition to our strategy, I think. So one of them is a new initiative, a research initiative around fragility, conflict and migration, which we are launching right now, which is led by Katrina Kosic from IFPRI. I should also mention that the 2022 Global Food Policy Report, which is coming out in two days, okay, is also very much focusing on, on conflict, migration, fragility issues and resilience against it. And so in the longer run, the more strategic things, I was pleased, well, pleased is maybe not the right word here, but what uh, Dr. Akalibata pointed out as issues like the important examples gave, like school feeding programs, social safety nets, regenerative agriculture, agroecology, food loss and waste reduction, impact on of food system on climate. These are all part uh, elements which are explicitly addressed by some of our work there. And so I think that is, um, optimistic, if you want, because at least we're trying to address these. Joachim's point, I think, was very important on the capacity issue, and there he says, you know, there are 62% of the countries having national pathways who are having a focus on science and innovation, but the countries which are not are unfortunately the least, uh, the, the countries which are most suffering from uh, the lack of food system transformation. And so clearly there is a role for us to play because we are active in these countries. I should 
so one of the ways we're doing that is through, we have a very strong strategy on capacity building or capacity integration collaboration with national institutes in these countries. And for IFPRI, for example, we have been decentralizing over the past 15 years. We now have more than 50% of our staff in the countries not in, in headquarters, and I think it makes our work more relevant, I think, because I think we have a better understanding of what the real policy issues is, better understanding of local conditions. It also contributes, obviously, to capacity building. And so I often give the example, I was in Kenya last year, and there was a junior uh, researcher, and so she was joining a, a meeting, and she just came straight off the plane, felt jet-lagged, red eyes. And so I said, well, she went to Washington because we have a meeting. She is our local modeler. And she went to Washington to get together with modelers from all over the world. So we now do the modeling in the countries rather than here in D.C. and go out. Let me just um, maybe spend uh, one more minute on, on measurements issue. And this is something I think which is really central to what we do, particularly also for IFPRI, system transformation. I think there we do a lot, but we should do more and better and probably also more systematically and structured across countries to be able to collaborate better with the countries, but also with international organizations who want to bring this out as a strategy of basically this implementation of this global food systems transformation. So there I think we are working on getting better tools for understanding or foresight models. Uh, they are also working in, national, in the national level with uh, developing models there. Better data collection, both more uh, faster data collection if you want, more accurate data collection, more disaggregated, for example, focusing on gender effects, which are explicitly built in. Um, we have our food security portal, which I think many of you, I hope many of you know about, because we have a lot of things we are tracking there, such as price volatility, export restrictions, etc. And so this is linked with the early warning systems, which are really important for all the countries, particularly in this more volatile world, I think. And then not just having the systems there, but also the capacity to analyze the data and to interpret the data. Let me end then by maybe pointing out the, the initiative, uh, CGR initiative. It's a big research program on national policies and strategies. And there, I think also we really want to link up with this national program uh, pathway designed for the food systems follow-up. And we're, it's actually set up almost to be complementary to that and to be conducive to that. Um, why don't I stop here and I'm happy to take specific questions uh, during the Q&A. Thank you very much, Yo. I invite our in-person panelists to join us up here and our virtual panelists to come on the camera so you can participate in in the uh, in the discussion period. Um, we're we've gotten some great questions here. I'm going to see if I can group some of them and direct them to our speakers here. So we're going to start with I think the most challenging question for all of us. Um, but I'm going to direct it to you, Agnes, uh, because you ran the the UNFSS. Um, the the question is uh, this person prefers to remain anonymous, but they they make the following comment: presentations highlight important issues, but seem very complex and bureaucratic. Could the green revolution have happened if such an approach had been used? Um, Maybe you want to reflect on that, and uh, uh, do you agree? And if, if in fact, we are focusing too much on, on process questions and it seems a bit bureaucratic, what do we need to do to generate, um, to, to change that dynamic?
No, thank you. Um, so just to say, thank you, Charlotte, um, just to say that, by the way, we have rebranded. We no longer use Green Revolution. So we are Agra <laughs> Food Systems. <laughs> and we actually have our Green Revolution Forum has been now renamed to Africa's Food Systems Forum. So why did we rebrand? Just to really uh, embrace the whole food systems idea, but also recognize that some of these um, solutions uh, or ways of working that have defined us in the past are going to have to evolve. So the, the, I'm not saying that the Green Revolution was necessarily um, uh, you know, not a great idea when it did happen. It was. It fed us. We produced five times more food than than when we started. So many people were dying globally. Uh, and being able to get out of that was extremely important. Today, it's a different time. And we need to think about what we are doing wrong today. And what we are doing wrong today is we are doing, we are hurting the environment at the cost of food. We are not producing food that is most appropriate for us. And we know better. So fast forward, we know better. But what was the question again? <laughs> are we running the risk that, that these summits and the preparations are, are too complex, too bureaucratic? Are we reaching, are we going to be able to accomplish change through these, through these processes? So uh, I, one of the things we don't give credit enough for, maybe because we are not part of that back then, uh, or maybe because the systems weren't that advanced, is how much work needed or got done, needed to be done or got done for things like the Green Revolution to become established the way they did. But one thing is very clear. All the time where it worked, it needed leadership, right? What has changed today is we have lots of engagement, lots of consultations. We need to bring people along much more than we did back then. We all have access to information. Uh, we all question why we have to do ABCD. So to the world today is different than the world 50 years ago. So the, the, by itself, even the Food System Summit by itself, we needed to do that level of consultation. We do recognize individuals and individual capability to make the, these decisions that influence and impact our food system. We need to change our food system from the ground up. So I don't think that it's bureaucratic to be consultative. I don't think it's complex to be consultative. I think it's really, really important that we empower people to understand the damage we do to the environment. That's what I think is the bottom line. Number two, leadership back then, 50 years ago, is different from leadership today. Leadership gets thrown out for presenting an idea the, the wrong way. Leadership gets the, fails to get the, the level of buying it needs to be able to, to, to drive policies the, 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 that they want to drive. How else will you drive policies if then you don't bring everybody along today? So today is different from, from back then. So I, I, I guess we are all dying for action. We, are, we all need these things to happen. But we also need to understand that there's a process that, has, that gets us to action. And that process is consultation. That process is breaking down issues to make sure that everybody understands them. But also that process is research and evidence. We didn't do the Green Revolution without the right research and evidence. We, even as we go forward, whatever we are taking forward, we're embracing, needs the right level of research and evidence. And we need to accept that those are things 
that we need to do to avoid uh, some of the challenges we could have in the future if we don't do the right investment in research and evidence. So that's how I would break it down. Th thank you very much, Agnes. Um, Joachim, um, the UNFSS scientific group was, this person believes, the first scientific advisory body for a UN summit, or at least a food, a food summit. Um, how do you see the new scientific group? Um, what is its role going to be moving forward? Is this, are we turning, do we have a vision here of turning this into another IPCC uh, science, scientific group that advises on, on the climate change negotiations? What, what do you see as the mandate and the vision for, for this new group? Like this. Um, the scientific group for the UN Food Systems Summit um, um, was um, getting a mandate um, based on independence of science. So um, uh, the members were appointed um, and to serve in their personal capacity. The same is the uh, situation with the um, new scientific advisory group. The difference is um, it is an advisory group to the hub. Um, the scientific group for the summit was uh, reporting uh, to the whole systems food su system summit process um, and it was empowered by the um, uh, delegated uh, authority from the Deputy uh, Secretary General Amina Mohammed. So um, uh, it's, um, it's at a different level, but I think um, um, time will show whether it performs well and with, uh, when it gains further credibility, um, it, uh, and that will show at the stock-taking event in July of this year uh, that um, uh, maybe more can be expected from it also in terms of uh, future institutionalization. Thanks, Joachim. And now we have, I'm going to take two more questions, and if I could ask that uh, for, for short answers. So the first question is for you, Mohammed. Um, how, this comes from Alamgir, how can traditional indigenous techniques help to feed um, our increasing communities since they don't use modern technologies? So in a nutshell, uh, how do we, what's the, what's the benefit of using indigenous knowledge if they don't use modern technologies? And then if I may, uh, Yo, the next question will be for you. Um, and it, it pertains to finance. Um, uh, Larry Taylor from the Yield Lab, uh, Asia Pacific, asks, how can we educate more investors about the food systems transformation process? And related to that, a question from Joseph Migunda from Tanzania. Businesses are among the key drivers of change. We haven't talked a lot about the private sector, so maybe you could briefly say, how do we position our food systems transformation plans to massively engage the major food companies and agricultural SMEs? Uh, Mohammed. Thank you very much. Um, and all these issues are, are extremely important, and I, uh, I just highlighted them, but very briefly. Um, I think to, to interface indigenous knowledge, or what I call indigenous innovation, with modern science, or science of innovation, is a very complex issue, and we are just touching upon it. 
and the workshop or the conference I refer to, the, what is going to come in October, is going to make an attempt to see how this can be interfaced somehow. So we're bringing um, uh, experts and innovators from the indigenous community, as well as in modern science. And we, we're going to have a dialogue. They're going to show, the indigenous people are going to show a type of innovation, for example, they deal with when they talk about food systems or food security or food nutrition. And then they will have also the other views from the from the scientific group. And, um, and I say, I mean, I don't really know how they are going to come up with common ground, um, but it is, it is very clear that the two schools of knowledge are very relevant to food systems. And we really need to, to interface them somehow. Excellent. Um, what I mentioned about artificial intelligence is something very important because artificial intelligence can now create these platforms that can create links between the two. We don't know the result of it, but there is an attempt to do that. And so I think we have to be a little bit patient, but I'm sure that the solution will come. Right. So in I'm fact, in, in fact, you're blending the most modern technology, AI, with indigenous uh, innovation. So that's fascinating. Um, Yo, the, the finance and private sector question briefly to you. Yeah, the finance of the private sector to the food systems. Sorry, that's a question for, for Yo, Mohammed. Thank you. Go ahead. You have to press it. Um, let me start with the second. Yes, obviously businesses are extremely important. I mean, the food system says it itself, right? I mean, a big chunk of the food system is are uh, private enterprises. So they go from smallholder farms all the way to big multinational companies and, and kind of everything in between. And so, I mean, if you look at, for example, now between for all dollar of consumer spending in, in developing in rich countries, it's roughly... 10% which goes to the farmer, even less 5% some countries. But even in lower and middle income countries, new estimates put that only 30% goes to the farmer. And so 70% actually goes to other agents in the value chain. And so their companies are extremely important. It should be definitely part of the solution. I think Ismahani also pointed out a number of challenges in, in this area in terms of concentration, etc. But I think global, local uh, value chains all have a very important role to play. Just I have little time so i'm just putting it as a general point in terms of the finance i think you know the food finance architecture that we helped develop has essentially you have to think about the six potential streams okay half of them are public in terms of source half of them are, are private the private one the most important one is consumer expenditures in the food system and then you have uh, companies investment value chain finance and then the other one is the financial institutions. Okay, let me say something there. I think there is a potential enormous source of funding there for our food system transformation. The big problem there is that there is an institutional gap between the supply of the funding there of the finance and the demand for the finance. And the reason is that the type of funds that we need in food systems at the local level is relatively small. And the, basically the supply, what investors think of investing, is large sums of money. And so making this link is actually very complicated. So we have a program it's called Sustainable Finance uh, Initiative in the CGIR trying to make that bridge. And so we need to think very creatively about uh, institutional solutions of make that work because it's, it's potentially game-changing if we can do that.
Thank you, Yo. I'm, I'm very sorry. We've come to the end of our Q&A, and I think the, the seminar, at least for our virtual participants, will cut off very quickly. But I would like to uh, ask Joachim to provide some concluding remarks. Rather than um, summarizing, let me refer to where we are in Washington, D.C. Um, during spring meeting of IMF and World Bank. And what applies to food summits also applies to uh, the spring meetings this year. Food summits happen when there is a failure of the functioning of food systems. So food summits are a sign of failures and weaknesses in the system. This Food Systems Summit of 2021 was summit number eight since 1943. All summits had an impact. This one also shows some impact already. During spring meetings in Washington, D.C., the call for reform of World Bank and IMF are ringing loudly through the city. To my knowledge, uh, the food issues are playing at best a marginal role in the current debate. World Bank and IMF have not um, come to uh, terms uh, with the challenges of um, high inflation and um, uh, budget deficits, um, uh, collapsing social safety nets, um, and thereby the food issues and the hunger issues have not been appropriately addressed. That needs to change. I, th I believe the community um, of the follow-up activities of the Food Systems Summit, the Strategic um, and Scientific Advisory Group, IFPRI, the CGIR, have a key role to play to change all that. Then we close with a prediction. As we are working onwards towards 2030, uh, the uh, food systems issues will not be resolved unless we have a major reform in governance of the food system. The uh, governance reform issues relate to what needs to happen in the um, UN agencies, the Rome-based ones, the FAO, um, uh, UNEP, etc. Uh, they need to get their act together with togetherness, not one by one, uh, involving civil society and private sector in totally new ways because the food system will only be revamped, which we all called for today, if the private sector plays a key role and if civil society play a key role. Maybe in the end we will need something like a World Food Convention, as we have a climate convention and um, a biodiversity convention, setting out a governance structure that works. It's probably too early to say, but we better start working on it now. Thank you. A very big thank you to all of our speakers. Let's give them another round of applause. <laughs> and 
please join us outside for some refreshments. And uh, thanks to all of us, uh, all of you, our in-person as well as our virtual audience for joining us for this discussion. Next Thursday, we launch the Global Food Policy Report, which uh, Yo Swinnen referred to. It is on uh, rethinking food crisis response. So look forward to seeing many of you uh, again on Thursday. Thank you.